When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply become death destroyer of worlds i have become claire destroyer of youtube i got uh for everybody listening uh me and claire discussed some things we weren't supposed to me and miss lopez discuss some things we weren't supposed to discuss on episode 370 and i got a one week suspension on youtube and uh, i can't even tell you what that suspension was for so if you're curious go check it out on BitShoot and rumble episode 370 but today we've pushed it off for two weeks now i believe we're going to get into the uh the red, black, green axis. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. Sounds good, Tommy. Glad to be with you again. Thank you. And for all the new listeners, real quick, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Claire Lopez. Um, I am the founder and the president of Lopez Liberty LLC. And I've got a long background in both uh, government and uh, private industry and think tank world uh, in uh, national security issues. So here we are. Here we are. And uh, first episode, we talked about, I don't know, we kind of were all over the place. The second one was obviously uh, the wrong think, so we can't discuss that here. It's verboten. But um, the first time I'd ever read it, in your resume, I read about, you know, your specialty and um, the uh, the dangers of electromag- HEMPs, high-altitude electromagnetic pulses, as well as the Club K missile systems. But again, that's another episode for another time. I had actually never heard of the, uh, the red, black, green axis. And so I am, I, you are taking the role of professor today, and I'm going to sit back as the student and have you literally and figuratively school me. So please take it away. Okay, well, thank you, and, and thanks to all your listeners, your viewers, uh, for chiming in. So uh, red, black, green axis is the term many of us have come to use uh, for the communist revolution that is now threatening our republic. The red part refers to communism, Marxism, Maoism. Uh, today, the leadership of communism in the world is headquartered in Beijing with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the black part of that is the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which likewise is Marxist, but also Maoist. Uh, and then finally, the green uh, is for the Islamic movement, um, which here in the United States is represented by the vanguard of the Muslim Brotherhood and all of its front groups. And as unlikely as it may seem at first glance, uh, these three are aligned and they work together. Yeah, but I mean, unlikely, but also not unlikely. I mean, it's, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my ally or friend. It, it, it makes sense that they'd all be aligned. Now, they seem radically different because it seems odd, though, right, that you'd be able to have the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood be able to work in cahoots with the uh with the i guess global communism knowing that there's two million uyghur muslims in concentration camps in china now is that a testament to just their brutal reality of war and they're like okay lost cause or or what is that how do they overlook that you think they'd be well you know i i would say this whole alignment the red the black and the green um is opportunistic 
Um, it is an alignment of of groups. Yeah, like you said, exactly, Tom. I mean, that you know don't at first glance look to be uh, ideologically aligned, um, but because uh, the the enemy of all of them. Um, the foremost, you know, leader of individual liberty, constitutional republic in the world uh, is the United States of America. We are the ones they all take aim at, I suppose. Um, you know, they probably all think that after the chaos of the revolution uh, and uh, as they uh, see it or hope for it, that, that America collapses, that out of that chaos, each one of them thinks, well, you know, they'll be the one to seize power yeah. and they'll settle up between themselves later on. Yeah. Right. And it's all, it's the same, it's the same delusion or illusion of, uh, all, uh, I guess, Marxist or communist or Maoist revolutionaries is when we overthrow the power, you know, I'll be in the elite, I'll be part of the, uh, the central committee, I'll be in the bureau. And it's like, dude, 99% of you are going to be in the gulag like the rest of us. You're, you're useful morons. Well, people don't know their history anymore. And I mean, Americans don't know history anymore, either ours or the history of other, excuse me, places in the world, you know, uh, like Soviet Russia, like Mao's China, like Pol Pot's Cambodia, like the Castro's Cuba. They don't know uh, what happened in those places when, when communism came in and really took over. And they don't then see the, the parallels um, uh, the blueprint unfolding here in the United States either. Mm -hmm. So without knowing their history, because they don't get it in school uh, and have it for a long, long time, that's that was part of the plan too. Mm -hmm. That was part of the Marxist agenda. Because they don't have any of that, um, you know, they lack the ability to to see what's happening right now in front of our eyes. To me, what has what has informed me the most is learning about the um, the business plot, capital B, capital P of 1933 against, I'm sure you're aware of that, correct? The business plot? The what kind of plot? The business plot of 1933. It was not taught in school. I only learned about it in the last three months of my life. Well, there. I, I, I don't know if you mean the business plot or if you mean... Um, what did they call it? The uh, the what was it? The 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 truth operation? I think. I, I'm not. Um, I think they had several names for it, but it's where several. Maybe. It's where several uh, of the most powerful people in the world, J.P. Morgan, I think Prescott Bush, and a couple others, tried to hire retired General Smedley Butler to overthrow FDR's White House in 1930. Oh, that's a different thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. They called it the business yeah. plot. Kind of a generic. Point is, the importance of it. For everybody listening, go read up about it. Smedley Butler, the most decorated uh, enlisted or Marine in uh, United States history, gave the famous War as a Racket speech 30 years before Eisenhower's military-industrial complex speech. The importance of it, though, is that it was a real-life example of a bunch of wealthy people, by definition, in conspiracy to overthrow a democratically elected uh, leader of none other than the United States. And that's kind of been whitewashed. But once you learn about that and you learn how real it was and how if it wasn't for Smedley Butler's kind of cunning tactics, it might have happened. All of a sudden, absurd kind of, you know, what is this red, green, black access? What about, right? 
all of a sudden those seem a lot more realistic because if you don't learn about that it all seems cons- oh yeah they're going to overthrow the president it's never happened but when you learn about what happened in 1933 and you go oh it's you're probably going to be a lot more careful of sticking your head near windows if a sniper shoots at you and misses and then you see the bullet explode you go oh they're actually there because until that happens it's just kind of a yeah that's out there that's i'm going in circles now but the point is is Yes, removing certain things from the academic curriculum. It does. I mean, it's so cheesy and cliche, but those who don't, you know, learn history are bound to repeat it. And that's that's kind of what I've gotten out of it. Well, I, I would go back to the 1930s, um, but it, with, with maybe a little different focus. I think I've talked on your podcast before, Tommy, about uh, my good friend Diana West and her book, came out in 2013 called American Betrayal. And American Betrayal, just just, uh, for a quick review, um, was a a very um, meticulously researched uh, book about the infiltration of communism into American society institutions, including government, uh, beginning really shortly after the 1917 revolution in Russia. And by 1933, was well along. Um, and Diana uh, went to the Library of Congress. She she uh, looked up, uh, reviewed old microfiche for, for those of you um, uh, post-microfiche. Uh, these were strips mm-hmm. of, uh, what, cellophane on yeah. which uh, the images of, like, old newspapers were kept. Um, but also a lot of other research. Um, you know, the Matrokin papers, uh, which were the archives of the KGB that were brought out by the archivist uh, when he defected, Matrokin. Uh, the Minota papers, uh, which were eventually the declassified um, records of FBI telephone intercepts between Russian embassy in Washington, D.C. and Moscow. Uh, she researched all of this. And what she wrote then in the book um was how deeply communism had infiltrated, um, yes, the government, and I mean all the way up to and including the Roosevelt administration uh, at the highest levels. Harry Dexter White at the Treasury Department, Alger Hiss at the State Department, um, exposed later on, of course, by Whitaker Chambers. Uh, you had Harry Hopkins, a, a literal KGB recruited asset, living in the residence of the White House with the Roosevelts. Um, but also beyond government, the, the the infiltration of other institutions, of course, like academia, getting us back to, well, why don't students and, and generations of students now pass through academia. Why don't they know these things? Uh, and it's because of that infiltration. Uh, the Frankfurt School, for example, mm-hmm. uh, there was an actual vehicle within the Soviet regime called uh, the Soviet Comintern, Communist International. It changed names later on, but Communist International, which was um, established for the purpose of exporting the communist revolution uh, around the world and the United States then as now um, was and is a, 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 the primary key target in the entire world is there any definitive way to stop this because it kind of seems like and perhaps this is just my own 30 year old naivety is 
Is there any way to stop this, or is it by its very nature a, a free and open society? I mean, who's the founding father? It's, you know, what's in it for you know, a republic if you can keep it? Is there is there any way to stop this, or is this just? Well, sure. Okay. I mean, of course there is. Okay. Um, we do still have a constitution, however violated it may be right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the geniuses of our founding fathers. Um, structure for for this republic was to make it a federal society federalist society meaning that each of the states that eventually joined the union uh retained a lot of autonomy uh retained a lot of 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 independence as states um so there uh you know and and i've got a, a little copy of my my constitution i was talking about this on another show right this morning um and um, a couple of um uh, sections in here that i'll just read to you you know really quickly um one is article four section four uh the united states shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. Let me read you one other section, and this comes from um, Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. Uh, No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops, ships of war in time of peace, etc., etc., um or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay okay so there are very significant uh rights that are reserved to the states in our federalist uh system uh that states even now are are beginning uh, to to invoke, mm-hmm. for example, um, some states' attorneys general are invoking something called nullification, meaning uh, that if executive orders, for example, come down from the White House um, uh, upon the country, the states, um, in each state, the governor, the legislatures, may assess, may may look at those executive orders from a constitutional point of view, and if they are deemed unconstitutional, they have every right to reject them. So these are the kinds of things, and what I'm talking about is grassroots action. Mm-hmm. You asked, what can we do about this? Mm-hmm. It's grassroots. It's states' rights. It's, it's the level uh, of the citizen patriot now. Um, in each state, at I mean, as as as, as low down a level as you know, precinct, ward, yeah. district, on up to county and and state. Yeah, and could you say that? Could you say that we are perhaps seeing that's what came to my mind when you were reading that is maybe this is just my, my I'm messing it up. Texas ending the mask mandate and the lockdowns. Mississippi, sure. perhaps Florida. Yeah, is this, sure. Is, as well as border states. Uh, taking action on their own to secure their own borders yeah. against what? Against invasion. Yeah. When actually invaded or in such imminent danger as yeah. will not admit of delay, Article 1, Section 10. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're seeing sure. that right now, right? And it's a uh, right because and I, it's their right, it's their constitutional right to do so. Yeah, I mean, we saw. I think it was in the last two days the Biden administration uh, shut down the uh, the ICE uh, the ICE Twitter warning. Uh, not Twitter word. Um, the well, no, they were. It was a Twitter site for Twitter. that ICE department that, that was um, what was publishing, um, you know, numbers and and names and data um, about uh, uh, refugees and immigrants. Uh, I guess lawful and unlawful, mm-hmm. um, who had uh, been accused and or I guess convicted of uh, crimes in this country. Yeah, and it's now it's shut down now. That yeah. information pipeline is gone. It's shut down. Yeah, so when they post images of here's you know Bob Smith or Jose Gonzalez is I'm not sure if that's politically incorrect. If now I'll get banned, but if they put up whoever, let's just say Tommy Kerrigan, if they put up hey, um, you know uh, on the run, armed, dangerous, you know sexual, violent or whatever, that's not taken down. It's been deemed hate speech. Now you can request that account to follow them. They have to approve it, which means that now for every follower that wants to follow them, they have to manually approve it. So you can't just well, get tens of thousands of people a day. They now have to they've bottled. I, it. I might I might suggest an alternative um, to to that Twitter site. Better anyway, uh, and it's a good friend of mine um, named Anne Corcoran, C O R C O R A N Corcoran, and um, she has kept a blog site since two thousand seven called Refugee Resettlement. Okay. She's got a couple other blogs under her name that you can look up too on related topics. Uh, but that's the one here for us uh, on this topic. Refugee Resettlement blog, Anne Corcoran. She has archives going back years to when she started, 2007, um, about all of these topics. You know, the influx of refugees, uh, where they're going, who's resettling them, who are the main contractors um, who, who, who contract by the head with the Department of State uh, to settle people from, from you know, all over the world and who knows where in local communities without the, the say-so, without the approval of those local communities. Anyway, Ann Corcoran, Refugee Resettlement Blog. I will put that in the description and in the co- top comment. And I'm also going to ask you after this to get her for my podcast, as well as the author of the book you, you talked about earlier. But we'll get back to that. It seems like there is a. It seems like at the crux of all of this, at the sort of the 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 choke point of all of this, is ending media censorship. You know, it's it's a lot easier to just shut down the flow of information and then go about what you want to do. The analogy I always use on this podcast is: there's a video game where you have to take down compounds. The first thing you always do is you shoot the telephone pole so they can't call reinforcements. Then you can take your time and kill all the bad guys. What you want to do is make it so that they can't hit the siren and all the other guys come. The first thing they're doing is they're destroying communication lines, right? We now can't contact each other, suspended from YouTube, banning that ice page on Twitter. It seems like the quickest way to fight back against this, and perhaps we could tie this into the states invoking their rights to protect themselves. I don't know if maybe I'm not a, I'm not a legal scholar. Maybe you could stretch this into invasion. But it's to revoke Section 230, and I believe DeSantis is already laying the groundwork to do that in Florida, to where if you ban a an elected uh, an elected office holder, it's like it's like ten thousand dollars a day per banning of that person on for, just for Twitter. 
is the is the main thing to go after you know work smarter not harder is the main thing to go after section 230 and remove their ability to act as publishers but still be protected as if they're platforms well i wish um you know but but in the last congress and any congresses that preceded it um even when republicans held uh, a majority they didn't do anything about it and that's why you see governors like florida's governor DeSantis, and there are other governors too uh and and state legislatures back to my point local state legislatures uh taking steps uh to pass laws that say if uh one of these social media giants um you know takes down free speech bans someone or, or a group uh for reasons um that that are purely uh pol- po- policy partisan policy partisan politics i should say mm-hmm. uh and and not um not not because of you know some egregious offense like uh, pornography sure. or, or you know something like that sure. um but not legal in that state depriving someone or some group of, of free speech according to the laws of that state then that state will impose a daily fine that's prohibitive prohibitive on that that social media outlet that's the kind of thing that's happening across the country yeah i had on bobby ann cox two days ago uh uh, a lawyer who's who's discussing all of this and kind of educating people on what Section 230 is. And it's yet yeah, you can take things down in the writing of the bill is like in good faith. Is it someone putting up child pornography? Are they doxing an individual's yeah. address and saying, go and attack that guy? That's illegal. And I think everyone mm-hmm. gets behind that. But the second you start removing someone for discussing elections or discussing vaccines or discussing whatever, then you turn into a publisher but then you can't be protected against that. So it's if you want to be the private company and do that, that's fine. But you can't be you can't have your cake and eat it, too. And that's I think, it. Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to see. I think I would like to think. And again, as you know, people have always said, I'm, I'm nauseatingly optimistic. But I think if we can see Texas take the first steps to ending the mask mandate and reopening. And then very quickly, we see, I believe, Mississippi and Alabama jumping behind in line. It kind of seems like a lot of people are just waiting for leaders, and I think that's a. I don't think I think that's just a human condition. Back to the dawn of time. I think. Well, remember we, yeah. too that, that that there is a whole bunch of other states across uh, the union that never did lock down or impose mask mandates. So it's not uh, only these three or four or or those joining now. It's a whole bunch of others that never did have such. Um, draconian uh, tyranny in mm-hmm. their states. Mm-hmm. So the number is larger than uh, you know. You might just think by looking at Texas and now Mississippi and Alabama. Yeah, yeah. And I had on uh, yesterday. I talked to Mr. Derek Gibson, who's running for governor of New York, and he filed his candidacy in 2019. So it doesn't even have anything to do with what's going on with Como lately. But I asked him at the end. I was like, I was like, and this guy, he, he's he's like a black Trump. It's politically incorrect. I was like, what are you going to do about Section 230, man? I was like, what are you going to do? About-? He's like, man, I'm seeing my boy DeSantis down in Florida. You ain't have none of that free speech. He's like, you try to take that in my state, I'll find your ass. And I was like, you're my man. I don't even live in New York, but I am now backing oh, you with my full source. But but the point is, is 
I mean, you have to push back because the most important thing, I mean, what Che Guevara said, the reason why um, the reason why Castro said that Che Guevara was at one point too radical is because he was openly saying you cannot have a free press and also have a people's revolution. You have to control the flow of information. To me, it seems like that's the most I mean, and it for simple things, though, even like the red, black, green access, even like the club K missile system, even these things that I would like to think I, I, before this, I always thought I was well, before I started talking to you, I thought I was well read and then talking to you. And I realized just how ignorant I am. No, 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 you're not ignorant. You're not ignorant, but let me, if I might, please uh, read uh, from my little copy here of (laughs) the communist uh, manifesto, 1848, Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels. And um, I think I've mentioned this before, but bears repeating. Yes. Um, there is a list in the middle or so of, of this uh, monograph, slim monograph here, uh, of a list um, of 10 objectives for the communist revolution, right? And I won't go through all 10 of them, um, but let me read number six, just number six. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. I mean, they told us exactly what communism is yeah. and what happens when when a free people allow uh, communism to take root in in their country yeah yeah it's so what is the, what is the leading edge for and you have to excuse me that I, I keep kind of passing the buck to you but you're someone who does know infinitely more than I do and so it, this is these are the episodes that I prefer to speak less and hear you speak more because it's you're an interesting person. What is sort of what is the shockwave, the leading edge of the red black green axis right now? What what is going on right now in twenty twenty one? What's the most up to date? What can I, I mean? I know you named them all earlier, yeah. but what is more than someone like me could just Google or Wikipedia? Well, it's 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 multi front and it's multi front all at once. I mean, we've gotten to this point. It's it's not some leading edge. It is multi multi point offensive. Um, I'll, I'll go back to the elements of it. Okay, right. So Antifa. Uh, founded, and we've talked about this before, um, as uh, a Marxist uh, export out of uh, then Soviet Russia, uh, exported by the Soviet Comintern, came to the United States no later than the 1930s. Um, But today we've seen a revival of it here in the States, and aligned with it, working with it, is the Black Lives Matter movement. And we know that that was formed um, in the United States here between around 2013, 2014 uh, by self-avowed Marxists, these three African-American Marxist women, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and um, Patrice Cullors. Uh, But it's expanded and, and Black Lives Matter movement is not a single organization, but a network of groups uh, of organizations, plural, some of which are explicitly on their own websites, like the Black Futures Lab, connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, by way of the Chinese Progressive Association. So that is one of the uh, connections that shows us the direct connection with China, as I've mentioned, which is the leader of, of communism in the world today. But but Antifa and BLM, we thought, or, or I think many people may have thought, you know, at, at the end of last year, leading into the fall, the winter, the election period, uh, that 
you know, the rioting and the arson and the looting and, and, and all the vandalism and destruction had maybe tapered off a little bit. Uh, but no, no, perish the thought. Um, because even on the actual date of the inauguration this year, January 20th, 2021, uh, there were further outbreaks out in the West, uh, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Tacoma, Washington, uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, Sacramento, California saw some of this, uh, more um, rioting by these groups, again, Antifa and Black Lives Matter movement, the police are out there kind of sort of, you know, maybe half-heartedly kind of trying to stop it, um, but not really cracking down in any serious way. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, wait a minute, you, you got your you got your team into the White House. Um, isn't that what you wanted? Aren't, aren't you satisfied now? Well, the answer is no. To your question, Tommy, leading edge of what's going on right now, the revolution, uh, the street violence is the enforcement mechanism of the communist revolution. Mm -hmm. And so, no, they're not done. They're not done by a long shot because we do still have a constitution, some semblance of law and order, if not in Portland, Oregon at this moment, but around the country elsewhere. Um, and, and we still have, you know, um, a, a constitutional republic uh, system overall, basically, under assault, but overall it's still there. So the revolution can't be done. Yeah. So that's why you're going to continue to see um, this violence from Antifa and BLM, which, like I say, they're different, but they but they work together, cell structures, each one of them, linkages to European cells in Western Europe, all over. Um, that, that's that's not done. It's it's not over until the West falls. The West, more broadly, Westphalian system of nation states, until that whole concept falls. So I would say that's part of the leading edge, certainly. Uh, so that includes the red and the black of my red, black, green axis. But then, you know, as I've said on, on the show before, uh, go to any of the websites or the homepages or the social media pages of uh, the leading um, Muslim Brotherhood front groups in this country, CARE, um, you know, MAS, MPAC, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you will see um, a continuing uh, drumbeat of posts about solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. So there's that linkage. Um, and so it continues. It's, 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 not, it's not ending. It's not over because we haven't fallen yet and we have no intention of falling. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't a boxing match where the ref calls it. When the guy's on the ground, they're going to keep hitting him until his skull splits open. They're not going to stop, and it's yeah, it's kind of the illusion of like appeasement, right? Appeasement doesn't work. You got your guy in the White House. What more do you want? They want you dead. They want you dead, and they want the system to collapse. For the green aspect of the red, black, green axis, could you say that it seemed like we saw in the early 2010s, early to mid 2010s, with the massive waves of refugees into Europe? and seemingly stopped when when Trump won as opposed to I think what they thought was going to happen with Hillary winning instead Trump seemed to have put a stop to what was you know I've, I've heard the term the Kalergi plan the K, for everyone listening K, I don't know why I'm trying to inform you I sure you know is the Kalergi plan K A L E R G I K A L E R G I plan where you where you flood countries with um 
with uh, with refugees from the Middle East and from Africa and use it to overthrow their system from within. Each woman goes there, has 10 kids within a generation. You dominate the society. You don't even need to overthrow it. You can actually de- you can actually democratically elect whatever you'd like. Is that the next wave we're going to see? Did Trump manage to put a pause on that for four years? I, I, you know, that's one thing that I would not necessarily uh, give credit uh, to President Trump for, although okay. there's plenty else. Okay. But but look at what happened in those uh, preferred destination countries of Western Europe. I mean, Germany, Northern European, Western mm-hmm. European countries like Germany, like some of the Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries and so forth. Um, not to mention Central European countries, like, for example, Hungary. What did they do? They they had enough at a certain point. Yeah. They put up what? Oh, horrors. They put up walls. They put up fencing. They put up barriers. Poland, yeah. Um, you know, Poland did not accept them at all and, and came to, uh, you know, disagreements, out-and-out disagreements with the European Union. Um but they know what this is about. And, I, you know, I would say that countries that um, not that long ago, in at least the, the collective memory, the cultural memory, were under uh, threat from the jihadist uh, Turkish Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. um, you know, dating from the, oh, before the 1500, uh, 12, 1300s onwards until they were freed, oh, let's say uh, by the 1800s, early uh, 20th century. Um, eventually with, with basically World War One and the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. But all that time, that's a very strong collective memory for a lot of those countries. And they themselves put up these barriers and said, you know, no more. We can't handle it. We cannot manage the flow. And furthermore, we don't want this flow because we have a cultural identity that is ours and mm-hmm. we want to keep it. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that we could let's go tie it back to the states do you think we might start seeing that in states do you think we might start seeing let's just throw it out there like texas erecting their own i mean i know that there's an existing fence and all that and i don't want to get into semantics could we see texas start to let's say fortify their border if they see it as the same way you mean you could maybe make the argument between like hungary and poland draw it as analogous to texas or you see something i forget which nordic country it is sweden or right is it malmo i think m-a-l-m-a-l-m-o that malmo is a southern swedish city which is right across literally a bridge from copenhagen denmark yes if it's, so i think it's malmo maybe i'm getting that wrong it's one of these quaint cities that is now the is the rape and grenade attack capital of the world? Yeah, I'm afraid it's it's Sweden. If you can even imagine this, wrap your head around it, Sweden. Yeah. The point is, is again, quaint little Sweden. So could we see something like, let's say, another strong identity area in Texas? You know, don't mess with Texas. Could we see Texas well, resist in the same way Poland and Hungary? Private, you know, land that is privately owned along the border can can obviously, you know, put up uh, whatever barriers uh, that rancher, that landowner wants on, on that property. But uh, in terms of the overall flow uh, of immigration and refugee resettlement, those things unfortunately are federally controlled. And I alluded to it a little bit earlier when I was talking about Ann Corcoran and Refugee mm-hmm. Resettlement Blog. Um, the federal government, by way of the State Department, negotiates 
directly with the UN Commissioner, uh, High Commissioner on Refugees um, each year for how many refugees we, the United States, will take in. And that is done directly State Department to UNHCR. And then when those refugees, which are vetted, whatever that means, by the UNHCR, uh, come to the United States, it is the federal level that permits them entry. And then, as I said, contracts, there, there is a group of seven major but many minor um, contractors. Many of them are faith-based, like uh, Catholic Charities, like uh, HIAS, which used to be called a Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, um, the Methodist, Lutheran Social Services, and many others, lots faith-based, in other words, of these major contractors, they contract, I mean, financial contract with the State Department uh, to resettle whatever refugees the State Department has agreed to let in that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those contractors set up uh, contractor offices in different places around the country without the permission or the involvement of either the state, the governor, the state legislature, or the municipality, the town, the city. They have no say-so, none whatsoever, until the buses come rolling into town, and then those contractors are, are, are responsible for settling those people for three months, 90 days, after which, for their entire lives, the unfunded mandate to care for their health, welfare, housing, education, etc., falls on the state. What the hell? Now, if you don't think this is crazy, um, states uh, have uh, tried to to push back on this, and there are bills that were proposed, at least proposed in Congress, to change this. Brian Babin of Texas proposed a bill some years ago. Um, uh, let's see, uh, uh, several more, um, in, in different places around the country have, have proposed bills that languish. They never get anywhere to change the state of affairs, but this, this is how it happens. So, you know, the question, you know, can a state, a city, a town, uh, say no, well, no, they can't federally speaking, they cannot because it's the law right now. It's a federal law. You want that changed? Um, I would suggest going to your representative in Congress because that's where it has to be changed at the federal level. How come you haven't run for president? Because I don't want anything to do with politics. Well, that's ever. exactly why you should be it, right? It's, it's, the, che- it's the cheesy <laughs> Harry Potter quote, No, right? thank you. No, no, I do policy, not politics. Okay, okay. Agree to disagree. <laughs> but it's like the cheesy Harry Potter quote, right? Those who don't, Those who want to be a leader shouldn't be a leader. So it then implies those who don't want to be a leader should be a leader. And unfortunately, Claire, <laughs> that means that you, the target is right on your back. You have to run. No, thanks. I, I, you don't have an option. I'm not asking. It's So <laughs> how far are we going to see? Because right now we see, I believe, is it, is it Idaho? There's talk of secession of counties to join. Is it, is it parts of California to join Idaho? I've heard this. Yeah, I've heard this out, out west. Yeah. Okay. Could, can you Pacific, expand on that a little uh, bit? You know, western border states. Would you be able to expand on that a little bit? Do you think there's any legitimacy you know, to it? Um, you know, at the moment, it's 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 just massive frustration with what's going on out there, right? 
Um, I don't know that any of that will, you know, come to fruition, but the very fact that, that people and, and, and even districts are talking about it, uh, I think is a warning sign about, you know, where we've come to in this country. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what about Texas seceding? Are we going to eventually get to a point where, you know, are we <laughs> full disclosure? So the tech overloads don't ban me. I'm not calling for violence or war or whatever the hell they're going to try to pin on me. Do you get to a point, though, where, you know, hey, you're busing in all these people after 90 days, we have to take care of them for life, blah, blah, blah. And we don't want to do it too bad. It's federal law. Do you get to a point where it's OK, we're not doing it anymore? Is there secession? Is there? We don't no, no, no. I think I think quite clearly leadership um, on the conservative side of things, uh, many different people. I, I've heard this, for example, at CPAC and at different interviews there, perhaps most recently this past weekend. Um, what they're talking about is reclaiming uh, their own states but from within, aligning with other like-minded states and populations. And, and geographically, where this falls is Canadian border on down to the Mexican border, kind of through the middle of the country, which is sort of the heartland of uh, conservative uh, citizens and populations there, if you will. But those states, and, and maybe some southern states more to the, the east, but, but banding together as states in their legislatures uh, and with, with conservative-minded governors um, to enact the kinds of policies that we've been talking about here today. Uh, but in, in unity, mm-hmm. in, in concert mm-hmm. to, to do those things, not to succeed, but, but we're rather within the union uh, to take back control at their own state legislature levels. That's what they're talking about. So are we going to start seeing like uh, like uh, safe haven cities, like uh, um, what is it? What were the, the sanction, sanction cities? Uh, well, a sanctuary, sanctuary cities, cities, maybe you're thinking yes, of? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to start and seeing at, sanctuary cities? At the cities? county level? A lot of sheriffs who are, after all, the senior law enforcement official uh, in each county um, declaring that they, those sheriffs, will uphold the Second Amendment and and will not accede to encroachments on citizens in their county against their Second Amendment rights, those kinds of things. That's what I mean by local level legal lawful action, but, but going back to the Constitution. Okay, is what you brought up, yeah, in, the, in our first episode was, you know, don't don't get caught up, to paraphrase you, don't get caught up in, you know, who holds the presidency, who's this, it's, go take care of your backyard, mm-hmm. go do, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, again, there's almost, it's, I mean, you hear it all the time, but it's like that, that Navy admiral who said at some college commencement speech I watched a couple of years ago, it's the first thing you should do every day, he's like, make your bed. Before you leave your room, make your bed. Because one, you start the day with having something accomplished. You look at your made bed. So if everything else goes to shit that day, you've at least made your bed. And at the end of the day, you can get into a made bed. I started doing that. You know, like I've two- been working on my daughter for years on that. Maybe the Admiral could have a word with her. Possibly. Well, I, let me say, I started making my bed about two years ago. I'm I'm 30 and a half years old. It took me until, oh it took me until 28 to start making my bed, but I started. Hey, better late than never, right? I do it every day now, 
But it is. It's no matter what, before I even leave my room, I have a made bed. And it's like I have done something. I've turned this mess of blankets into a neat square. And at the end of the day, I at least have that. If everything else fails that day, I have a made bed that I can crawl into that I knew I made. But I think you can extrapolate that to local politics. Make- well, it's a mindset, isn't yes. it? It's a yes. mindset about being lawful and following law and order of our constitution and yes. the laws derived from it. Yes. That's the mindset that it leads to. Yes. It, Good yes. habits like that. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. And it's again, and so, and then you can even pull it back into. So it's like, you know, you start a, or it's like the, you know, before you save the world, make sure you clean your room, right? You have to take care of yourself first. You have to enact change on the immediate level. So you can say with that, with the local level, right? Fix your county. I know for a fact the sheriff in this county has said he will not uh, enforce any infringements on the Second Amendment through hell or high water. So you can see the importance of America is built not on who cast down the orders from on high, but rather the nuclear family, which you can then ironically pull back to what is the stated goal of BLM is to, to dissolve the nuclear family. So gets a little hairy, but... I think you're right. I think it's going to start at a local level. Um, I just don't see people rolling over. I think we are certainly in a turbulent time. It's not a boring time, but um, I will continue to be nauseatingly optimistic because I do still think there are good things to come. That's the only way I can. Good for you. That's the only way I can continue. We need a dose of that every now and then. I I, I figure negativity is so free flowing. I'll be the doe eyed optimist. I'm like, it's not that bad. You know, it's like the Titanic's vertical and we're freezing in the water. And I'm like, hey, stars look great tonight. Like, you know, try to be a little optimistic. But let's wrap this one up. Like I said, I'm going out of town. I'm going to text you because I'm dying to do the Club K Missile System episode. I've been, I, I've been. We can, we can, we can talk about that another time. I think if you were to go look at Google Analytics, there's probably been a spike in search terms for Club K Missile System. Either from they've got a website. It's not that hard. You just go to their website. Well, what I what I mean is just in the general consciousness. Because and when I found out about it about ten days ago, two weeks ago. I've looked it up every day, and I've also been saying it on my podcast every day. So I imagine there's a little spike of uh, of that going into the public consciousness. But I'd love to have you on to talk about that. Um, okay. I'm going to I'm going to email you, text you about um, the author of the book you brought up earlier, Diana, as right. well as uh, okay. An, is it Anne Anne Cochran. Anne Corcoran, Cor- Corcoran. is the uh, refugee resettlement blogger, mm-hmm. and Diana. West, West is the author of American Betrayal. American Betrayal. Okay. I would like, I would love to be in, if you could put me in touch with both of those people. We don't have to do that right now. And I know you're going on Don the Pleb show later in March. Correct? Yes. We, we've, uh, we've set a date. We've arranged the time and uh, another podcast coming up. It, I'm so excited for that. Don is, Don, Don's a cool guy. Don is a lot smarter than I am. Don's not an optimist like me. Maybe you guys will have a more fruitful conversation than me. <laughs> we can wallow it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then when you guys need a break, the crisis. When you need a break, I'll be the life jacket. I'll be like, "Come on, guys, the water's great. Come over here." And then you know, we can go back and forth. But <laughs> okay, it sounds like a plan. It is. Um, everybody, please go follow Claire on Miss Lopez on Twitter. I will post your Twitter account as well as the links to those books and that blog. Thank you very much for coming on my show. It's always a pleasure. I love my I love, pleasure too. I love learning from you, and I've said this before. 
I can tell when I'm around someone who's wildly more intelligent than I am because it's the same sensation of being around a bonfire and you kind of just want to absorb it. <laughs> you're one of those people, and I say that sincerely. You're much oh, more intelligent than I, I am. I just had a lot more time to uh, absorb more stuff. Maybe so. Who cares? Pat yourself on the back. I I enjoy taking it through osmosis through you, and I appreciate you coming on here. And I know that you are quickly becoming a favorite guest for my uh, my audience. So thank you very much. Good to hear. I'll put thank all the, you. Yes, ma'am. I'll put all the links in the description, sticking in the comment. Okay. As always, God bless America. Don't give up. Stay optimistic, but stay real as well. Thank you so much, Claire. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. All you right. too. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>